what is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss is God. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to what I believe is episode 14 of your brand new favorite watch-through podcast all about Highway to Heaven. It is called Highway to Heaven Revisited. My name is Sam Hine, and I'm the moderator of this program, and let me get right into introducing your two favorite hosts of a Highway to Heaven watch-through podcast. <laughs> this one is specifically... I feel like it's just wrecking true. the show before we even get started, guys. What do you think? The number one Highway to Heaven watch-through podcast... <laughs> I think we're off to a great start. <laughs> Excellent. Without further ado, please welcome your hosts, Joel Luders. Hey, folks. And Rachel Mayer. Hi there. How are you two today? Doing great. I'm doing pretty good. Okay, well, let's get right into it, everybody. You and I, the listening audience, are going to hear the illustrious story of Season 1, Episode 16 of Highway to Heaven today. Rachel, what is the name of this episode? This episode is called Going Home, Going Home. Going home, going home. Well, within this season, we've had a baseball episode. I'm currently cutting it right now. It's the two-parter for episode five, and it's only like six years long. Yeah. But that's baseball-centric. Mm -hmm. Going home, home base. Also, this is like an Inception baseball-style episode because Michael Landon is already dead, but he's going to go home. So the dead guy is going to die. He's going to go up to heaven, and it has something to do with the World Series. All right. Like very lukewarm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, not completely like you don't off wanna, the mark. I mean, you don't want to take a bath in it, but you don't yeah. want it to go to waste. So you might wash your cat in it. Okay. <laughs> I think I will. Well, let's see how close I was. Tell me, how do we begin? Well, we fade in, and it's Mark and Jonathan in their car. Country music on the radio. I don't think there was any music on the radio. Ooh, must be a very serious talk going on in the cab. It is a little more serious. Mark is saying, this part of the world hasn't changed much from when I was a kid. There's a kind of country roads in the background, kind of rural. Yeah. I didn't know exactly how to describe the landscape. I would say when I lived in a suburb in Missouri, I would say, oh, it looks like they're out in the sticks. Okay, so they're driving around in the sticks. They are out in the sticks. What are they talking about? Going home? They're talking about Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, this part of the world sure hasn't changed much. No, changed from what? From what it was like when I was a kid. I thought you were from Oakland. What do you know about Oklahoma? Well, I spent some time out here when I was a kid on my grandpa's ranch. Boy. I tell you, it's hardly changed at all. Oh, great. Just terrific. <laughs> all right, so he's got roots in Oklahoma. Roots in Oklahoma. And they've also backed up the fact that that is an Oakland A's baseball cap. <laughs> Indeed. Then, all of a sudden, the tire pops on the car. And Mark goes, man, I've had more car trouble since I knew you. And then Jonathan says, well, it goes with the territory. Yeah, I was going to say, Clearly. that's sure God's honest truth. Yeah, car trouble is the reoccurring theme in this series. And I feel like John acknowledges it, because when he says that he's had more car trouble, he smiles at him, kind of gives him the John smirk. And Mark's like, hey, you know, do you think you'd use some of that, you know, angel magic and fix this car for me, you know? Put that to some good use, the good guy could maybe help us out and he goes hey i'm an angel not an auto club yeah it's not part of the plan so then mark's just like we'll what? get out here and lend a wing and that's that's pretty much it for that scene well yeah. again the question is does he actually have wings and when will we get to see them and two why exactly can't michael landon help this time around because there was an episode a second ago that we talked about where he was deflating tires in order to bully a teenager like he's fully in control of whether or not there can be air pressure in a tire. Yeah, it just really depends on if he has the stuff or not. Yeah. You know, the stuff. But it's not completely clear why he has it at times and why he doesn't at others. And how he seems to know when or when he doesn't have the stuff. 
this version of God has never really spoken to him directly at all. So one thing that I don't believe we've talked about much, but watching this show, I do have an impression that he does have some kind of internal dialogue communication with the big boss. Because a telepathic he will, line, perhaps. Right. Mm-hmm. He will frequently look heavenward if he's wondering if he has this stuff and then seem to get some kind of confirmation and then, you know, inflate or deflate the tire. So, all right. Yeah, I've always pictured it as a, just a little internal line to heaven. Every once in a while, it feels like he's like one page ahead or maybe a paragraph ahead. Yeah, okay. not that far but ahead. Not that though. far. Maybe just like, I think we got this. But don't you feel like sometimes he's just messing with Mark? Oh, yeah. You know, don't he's you? just like they're yeah. out on the roads in Oklahoma and he's bored. Yeah, I, I feel like <laughs> yeah. Mark's getting messed with right now. Yeah, That's, totally. Where do we go from here? Well, we're back in the car. It's at night. It's dark. Yeah, very dark. Because, no, you know, we're out in the sticks. Yeah. yeah. No lights. No lampposts out in the sticks. <laughs> rainstorm. Yeah, they see a sign for Twin Rivers. Mark's like, oh, that town is close. Yeah, my grandpa used to live out there on a ranch. And it's raining everywhere. He's like, ah, that ranch is probably gone. It's all condos now, I bet. Jonathan says something about, oh, do you want to stop and see the old homestead? And Mark's like, no, no, grandpa died. I don't want to stop by. Losing his ranch is really what killed him. I don't want to see that. Yeah, he lost to gambling. It's going to be very depressing later. We do get a little more backstory. We find out that when Mark was a kid, he went to stay at his grandpa's ranch because his dad was actually away in World War II, which seemed like an awfully long time ago to me until I stopped and thought about the timeline a little bit. And Mark's mom was sick, so he had to go hang out with grandma. Grandpa. There's no grandma. Okay, so Mark's grandmother is not in the story at all. She's not part of this story. I'm sorry I brought that up. We can speculate on her, but she is not part of this story. Just grandpa. Uh, Last thing we find out, we find out that Mark said his grandpa was a hell of an old man, but Mark never really got a chance to tell him how much he loved him. It eats me up when I think about it, is that uh, he died not knowing how much he meant to me. And uh, so he has like, you know, some shame and regret. I think we can all relate to those kind of feelings. Mark looks down the road and what appears in the headlight, there is a cow in the rain in the middle of the road. Oh my gosh. Watch that cow. What cow splat? There's no splat because Mark grabs the wheel and swerves the car to the side of the road to not hit the cow, but then he crashes the car. Into the ditch. Oh my gosh. Nice. Did it flip over? Almost. Like 70s TV style? No. Okay. (laughs) It gets knocked down in the ditch. John kind of wakes up and looks over at Mark and Mark is knocked out. Mark is hurt. And there's blood coming down his his head. It's before airbags. Yeah. It was almost before seatbelts. Right. Pretty much. They probably didn't have their seatbelts on. Probably not. A big story for my own dad was how unpopular his own dad, my grandpa, was when he built his own seatbelts for his car. And he basically just like took rope and would tie the kids into the back seat. And like, Smart guy. All the neighbors thought that was crazy. And he would always be like, I've got four kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the only way we can do a road trip. Yeah. This is how you make them hold still. There are four <laughs> of them. They're, they're an army. <laughs> they organize quickly against you. Are you guys old enough to have had a mom or a dad or a grandparent who would still have a reflexive action at stoplights? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. From, they have a muscle memory of days where there were no seatbelts. Right. So, you can't see, but Sam is like reaching his hand out as if to hold his passenger back from yeah. the jarring of the car stopping. My mom used to do that to me all the time. Oh, She'd yeah. be driving and we'd get to a stoplight and I'd be fully buckled in. But, you know, if she was stopping too fast, she would still reach her arm out and uh, put it across my chest to hold me in. Yeah, I have, I have very distinct memories of I can't believe that that was like the that. normality for how many years? Like into the 60s. How are we allowed to be driving cars still, you guys? What what are we even talking what about? Was it like it's to all take ridiculous. Someone out on a date yeah. in your car as the driver. Like, oh, I accidentally hit the brake too quickly. The gentlemanly thing to do is to reach out and stop you by like... I mean, isn't that the trope of like many movies and TV shows? I mean, I understand the, the young and reach around <laughs> sure. or reach over. It's more subtle the yawn and reach, definitely. <laughs> Not the slam on the brakes and honk honk. <laughs> I believe that's the actual uh, common term for such a touch. I hope we can bring that back, I think, Joel. I think part of our audience is really confused right now. That's <laughs> fine. Just uh, get a passenger in your seat. There's like the three people worldwide who were born in the 90s who listened to this podcast are like, what? 
And then all the other people who were like, well, they keep saying podcast, but we're watching this as a video on our VR goggles because a, <laughs> a company bought this from another company and has turned this into like an animated movie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, so many possibilities uh, and so many roads to travel, uh, but not today. Not today. No, uh, we got to find out what happened to Mark. Okay, so Mark, Mark is injured on the side of the road. Legit. He's got mm-hmm. blood coming out of his head. Yes. Um, we all know that doesn't signal anything good michael landon is pretty darn concerned yeah i, I mean, would think right he's like I, I can just make cottage cheese I, I can't suture a forehead so he jumps out in the rain i'm not a doctor i'm a cut man <laughs> <laughs> and he waves down uh luckily there's an old-fashioned truck coming by it reminded me of something that like macgyver would have driven like a nice vintage collector's truck comes by and he waves down this rancher and uh Burnin. and they get him into the back of the truck and they take him to a doctor's office jonathan wants to to take him to the hospital, but of course the nearest hospital is 50 miles away. So we're going to go to the doctor in Twin Rivers, which is the town Mark's grandpa was from. So we are brought to Mark's town kind of against yeah. his will. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to go, but we're going there. We pull up to the doctor's office. It's just a, you know, old house. They wake the doctor up. Doc comes running out. They bring Mark in and they put him on the little exam table. It's a very classic, old-fashioned looking doctor's office. Little exam table. Got that little light kind of what you think of when you go to the dentist like the overhead light shining down Mark is unconscious we definitely see the blood on his forehead and the doctor just pulls back his eyelids to look at his pupils and he's just like oh I don't know I don't know it's a head injury head injuries are tricky he says and then his wife gets up and says well I'll put on some coffee okay so is Vernon sticking around Vernon is not sticking around much longer he's sticking around long enough for Jonathan to tell him thank you I can't believe you stopped most people wouldn't do that and Vernon's like, oh, you don't know what people are like around here. We help each other out. Yeah. And just to prove that point, the doctor's wife comes out with a plate of biscuits and she's like, here's some biscuits for the road, Vernon. Wow. Yeah. So it's a really friendly town. The biscuits doc- in the middle of the night, fresh and ready to go. Yeah. Uh, the doctor's That's a hell wife. of a town. Uh, Flora, she's so friendly, played by the actress Eve McVoe. Interesting little bit of trivia is that she was the grandmother of the research scientist Dr. Paul Robert Appleby, who published the widely and notable areas about drugs and HIV prevention. Wow. This future doctor was raised as her own. It was her first grandchild, and she raised him. Well, I'm glad she's here. Hey, just on the tangent of we take the opportunity to mention those who have showed up on Quantum Leap and also Sliders, if applicable. I was at a rap party for a, a short film I'm going to be editing, and I was telling a friend about this podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's a little before our time, I think, but there was a short-lived show sort of in the same realm of the protagonist who goes from town to town and fixes things. Mm-hmm. And this particular show, the protagonist of the show was a dog. Oh. What? Who was on the run from the police. Wait, is this a Canadian what? show? I'm not sure what it is. My friend didn't have a lot of information, but he said, have you ever seen Run Joe? Run. Wanted. Male German Shepherd. Black and tan. Answers to the name of Joe. Accused of attacking his trainer, Sergeant Will Corey. A crime he did not commit. Only Corey can prove him innocent. But he must find Joe before his pursuers track him down. But it'd be super funny if some of the leapsers showed up on Run Joe Run. So the dog went from town to town? On the run from the police. How is that not a hit? I don't know. We should look into that Run Joe Run action and see if we can't uh, find any crossovers. Okay. It seemed like a really stupid idea for a show. (laughs) But the dog had committed a crime. And every episode, the person that the dog helps helps Joe get away from the cops at the end of the episode. They're like, no, 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 they're they're almost on you, boy. I'll I'll distract him. Get away now. Get away. Go, go, go. Oh, my goodness. You must be Mr. Corey. Yes, I am. Thanks for putting the call in to me. He, well, I mean, Joe must have got away. I'm afraid he did this time, son. He's the best dog there is. I think so, too. Thanks again. I got to find him before they do. <laughs> It hurts for a boy like Mike to lose something he loves. But it would have hurt more to keep a secret like Joe hidden. At least Mike will always have Joe as a memory. And Corey will never stop looking until the day Joe can be free. 
like wow, it. Wow, I do too, actually. Sounds like ridiculous and right up my alley. Yeah, I mean, kind of sounds wonderful. Okay, so fresh biscuits made to order, ready to go in the middle of the night from the doctor's office for yeah. anybody who uh, happens to show up with a bearded dude in the back of his pickup. And that's a great doctor's office right there. I had some questions. The coffee's on, the biscuits are offered, and the doctor basically says nothing's broken, he has a concussion, head injuries are tricky, all we can do is wait. But they're making it seem really serious. Like, all we can do is wait and see if he's going to live or die. I thought live, die, or something else. Zombie? Zombie. Zombie. Small town zombies. Mark would make a pretty dang good zombie, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think he would, yeah. My questions were, so they're 50 miles away from the hospital. If the injury is this serious, is 1984. We have telephones. There are ambulances. Because I felt like the doctor was just saying, well, there's nothing else I can do. Let's just sit here and wait. And I was like, but the hospital's like an hour drive away. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Okay. This will be revealed the more we go on, but I feel like you were a little more immersed in this episode than I was. Some things like this were kind of pulling me out a little bit. Yeah, okay. The better option somehow is that you just sit and wait and check Victor. French's brain every five minutes or so and see if it's working rather than very gently put him in another vehicle, preferably in the compartment where it's not raining on his body. Right. And then take him slowly to the larger town with the actual hospital. Well, and rather than do that, the doctor actually says something like, son, I'd, I'd say this is in God's hands right now. What does he say? Mark. Mark, can you hear me? Listen to me if you can. You gotta fight this thing, buddy. You gotta fight it. It's not your time to die. It's not your time. Son, I'd say that was in God's hands right now, not yours or mine. Evidently, this doctor is a viewer of this <laughs> television show. You're right. That is actually 100% accurate. So we need a little comic relief, right? Yeah, certainly. John walks back in and looks down at Victor French. And he says, you got to fight this thing. It's not your time to die. That's not the funny part, though. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, then the doctor says, ah, it's, it's, not, it's not, yeah, that, it's not your time to die. It's not your time to die. That's right. Yeah, and then the doctor's like, hey, son, it's not in your hands. It's in God's hands. And, Mar- and John's like, eh, kind of. <laughs> then the doctor's like, I should check you out too, Jonathan. And Jonathan says, no, no, I'm fine. And the doctor's like, no, I'm the doctor. I'm going to check you out. So he pulls out his doctor's stethoscope and goes to listen, you know, check Jonathan's heartbeat. Oh, that's funny. You don't have a heartbeat. John's like, uh, you probably have a bad connection. Here, try again. Then he looks up to heaven. He goes, uh, oh, I, I can hear it now. There it is. <laughs> well, I'll be darned. That's the strongest heartbeat I've ever heard. You seem to be doing all right. Uh, if you want to stay the night here, that's cool. I'm going to bed. The doctor goes to bed and he's like, you can just holler if you need anything. Well, everybody's hunkered down at the doctor's house for the night. I'm sure things will probably not have improved very much because eventually we're all going to be talking to Grandpa in heaven for a second. (laughs) Victor French, Michael Landon, and Grandpa. Well, John walks away. And after John's walked away, Mark starts to open his eyes. And he looks up at that doctor's lamp. And he sees the silhouette of two people holding hands. An adult and a child. And he calls out, Granddad. We cut back and then John walks over to him and it's daytime. It's the morning. It's the morning. And Mark goes, oh, I smell breakfast. Do they let him get out of bed? Yeah. The next thing we see Mark and Jonathan leaving the doctor's house. They're walking down the steps. They're waving goodbye to the doctor and his wife. And the doctor says something like, well, it's the most remarkable thing I've ever seen in my life. And they make a little joke like, oh, you mean how quick he recovered? The doctor says, no, how much breakfast he ate. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So yeah, well, obviously a little okay. angel magic in Mark's recuperation, right? I don't know. Head injuries are tricky. You just never know. You might come back as a really ravenously hungry uh, zombie. zombie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then they uh, they ask them about, hey, is there any place around here we could rent a room for the night? And they say, uh, yeah, there's a couple of places you can rent a room, but you know, also if you don't want to pay, you can always go to the Sims place. They'll give you lodging in exchange for work. And Mark has kind of an odd reaction to this. He's like, what? Oh, that's exactly what we do all the time. It's like a perfect place. We need a job. We usually have to barter a room for a job. We can do that all in one place. Sounds perfect. Except something's not quite right. It's exactly where Grandpa's house used to be. (laughs) As a matter of fact, Grandpa's place used to be called The Sims Place. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty much... 
Right on the nose. Yep, right on the nose. <laughs> In fact, Grandpa's name is Grandpa Carl Fred Sims. What a coincidence for Mark. But yeah. he seems conflicted about going back for some reason. Didn't he relate that he has pretty fond memories? He does, but the place has been torn down. And it's probably all condos now. And yeah, it's okay. just going to be a bunch of heartache. Well, mm-hmm. so now we just have a period of a little bit of confusion while Mark and Jonathan are walking down what is presumably the main street of this small town. They're discussing what's going on with the Sims place. Mark is saying like, oh, that's strange. Why do they still call it the Sims place? That's what we used to call it. And then we notice everything seems to be a little... Everything's what? What am I? It's upside down. A little. Everything's a little. (laughs) The house is upside down. They're just like walking around, and there's like old timey dance music playing. Everything's old. And like lots of classic cars. And I think Mark reacts. He's like, "Man, I haven't heard these songs for ages." John's like, "Yeah, this must be one of those oldies but goodies stations." But then Mark's like, "Well, look at all these cars. People really hug onto their cars around here." This is a holodeck episode, guys. There's some time travel going on right now. Mm -hmm. Is this the Quantum Leap crossover episode? Did Victor? French's head injury lead to a quantum leap scenario where he's just able to go back inside his own body back through time with his angel friend? Well, we're going to be crossing a bridge next. Let's find yeah. out. Okay. So we see this bridge, one of these wrought iron bridges that like stood the test of time, haven't changed for years. God, the old Mooney Bridge. How does it look to you? Any different? Like I walked away from it five minutes ago. You know, it's been almost 40 years. I spent some time here. Doing what, fishing? No. Playing Oakland. Used to tell my granddad I was going to school. I'd come down here, mope around all day, wishing I was back in Oakland. Boy, I tell you, I love this spot. At this point, Mark kind of like winces and puts his hand to his forehead, like in Mm -hmm. that I've got a headache kind of gesture, like, oh, something's going on. See, this is Inception. This is the waking lucidity here. You know, this is one of those episodes that really is occurring all in a character's brain. And I got to be honest with you, these are my favorite kind of episodes. (laughs) Okay, so we're time traveling. Mark's going to work out some of his issues in his brain before he wakes up. So he looks up across the I mean, if he doesn't die first. (laughs) might die. All right, so he wakes up and he looks across the bridge. Mark and John both look over and they see a kid sitting on the bridge and they go up to him and they're like, hey kid. Nice Oakland A's cap. What you doing out here? Aren't you a little young to have a beard that full? (laughs) The kid turns to Mark and says, hey, I'm not supposed to talk to hobos. And then Mark said, I was pretty sassy back in my day, Michael Landon. Yes. And they're like, exactly. Ah, I just want to talk to you, man. I just want to talk to you. And the kid's like, I ain't playing hooky. And he's like, ah, nobody said you were. Then they ask him, hey, there was something going on down at the Sims place. And the kid says, if you go down there, you better not tell my granddad about playing hooky. And then Mark says, what? Granddad. And then he comes with this great retort, though. The kid says, if you do, I'll tell the sheriff you tried to hurt me. Oh, I forgot about that. Adult Mark is a little confused. He kind of gets what's going on, but he's a little confused. Hey, kid, you know, I used to hang around here. I used to play hooky here. I played hooky. Nobody said you were. No, we're just looking for work. We heard there was some at the Sims place. Yeah, well, if you go down there, you better not rat on me to my granddad about playing hooky. You better not, or I'll tell the sheriff you tried to hurt me. Nobody's going to rat on you. What's your grandpa's name, anyway? Are you stupid? You're about the most obnoxious little brat I ever met in my life. How's that? So why are we stupid? Because you said you were looking for the Sims place. Why do you think they call it that? Because that's my granddad's name, Mr. Sims. What's your name? And what's it to you? So I don't have to call you Hey You. What's your name? Mark. Mark Gordon. So then Mark's like, ah, this doesn't make sense. And then John just turns to him and says, hey, it looks like you're getting a chance to tell your grandpa you love him. Yeah, you're yeah. getting a second chance, Mark. And Mark's like, wait, what? Is this a dream? Jonathan says, does it feel like a dream? And Mark says, no. Jonathan says, then it isn't. So what is Whoa. it? It's not a dream. It's a head injury. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Interesting. Okay, so it's not a dream, but it's kind of a dream. Come yeah. On. I guess what they're really trying to say, though, is that, and I actually personally believe this, I think people can place a lot more value on dreams than they actually do. And um, I honestly believe that if you end up talking to somebody who is not on the planet Earth anymore, you encounter them in the dreamscape and you have the opportunity to talk to them, you have actually talked to them. That's what I think. Mostly in my dreams, I just end up having to solve the same problems I'm trying to solve during the day, which is really not fun. So much of our waking life is spent inside our own minds, thinking through things, thinking through conversations we've had with people living or deceased, and the accuracy of our memory over those conversations. 
conversations. I think that what you run into in dreams, it may not be real, but it's really close. And so if something comes in through a dream and influences me, it's still alive in the real world. I don't know if I would jump to say that if someone passed away that they were speaking to me beyond the grave, but I would say that their thoughts and the spirit of what they are is alive and it's alive again in me. And by being alive in me is alive in this world. I totally agree. Well said, Joel. So Mark is under the realization that this is reality, but this is a weird one. Yeah, this is pretty different than what we've seen so far. But Mark is being given a really unique opportunity here. He gets a chance to tell his grandpa what he couldn't tell him when he was alive. Awesome. So the next thing, Mark and Jonathan are walking up to the old Sims place. And we see what we can only assume is grandpa outside sawing a log. Mark, is that a euphemism for taking a visit to the outhouse? <laughs> Nope. Because no. that is a very crude <laughs> yeah. colloquialism, Rachel. You know how I use that saw in a log colloquialism all the time. <laughs> but no, he's, he's literally has a saw. Yeah. He's cutting part of a log off. Mark sees him and yells, hey, granddad. Not cool. And goes up to him and like immediately is just like, oh, granddad. Oh, it's so good to see you. I mean, uh, you just remind me of my grandpa a lot. Uh, and I, I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm 50. Yeah. Grandpa's just like, what's wrong? with you. Yeah, he yeah. actually says, I, I wrote this down, he goes, are you two trying to soft soap me? That is an allusion to a prison rape. <laughs> you two trying to soft soap me? Get off my land. He thinks wow. they're bums. He literally says, you're bums. Get off my land before I call the law. I wow. love how everybody in this old timey landscape is really making fun of uh, Victor French's appearance. It's very refreshing for me. <laughs> so they're kind of having this argument and trying to clarify when a fancy old fashioned car pulls up. It's kind of one of those cars that looks like a seashell in the back. Big wheels and big big headlights that stick out of the top. I really wanted to look up the make and model. It's all shiny and purple and black. Yeah. And there's like a driver and there's a guy getting out of it. And then Grandpa goes, Judas Priest. First two bums and now another. Only this one wears a Sunday school suit. Now I know where you got your disposition from. So Sunday school suit guy is coming up to talk to Grandpa. And Grandpa's surly. He says something like, what brings you out here today? Are you here to help with the chores? No, of course he's not. I want to sell you something. He wants money. Grandpa is trying to get another loan because his well has dried up. This is the banker. Says Grandpa can't have another loan. And in fact, Grandpa hasn't made any payments on his last loan. And if he doesn't make a payment in the next 48 hours, the bank's going to take the farm. That sounds like a race against time. In fact, he even says, you know what? I'll make a deal with you. You can sell me this place in the, like the next 24 hours and I'll give you a thousand bucks. Or if you wait 48 hours, the bank will take it and you get nothing. So a thousand dollars in the 1940s would be like... 450000 probably, right? <laughs> so Mark and John say, hey, you know what? If you need help, we could help dig a well for you. John's we only smoke six packs of cigarettes a day between the two of us. We've got plenty of energy and endurance. And then John says, in fact, I've done my own share of divining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you like Excellent. That. So we're going to have a little bit of the stick. Do we get a little bit of the divining well, we're going water to. stick? Yeah, but right now, Grandpa thinks that's hogwash. He's not interested. Well, like, obviously, that's... he hasn't seen Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. And in fact, in an episode of Bonanza, Michael Landon does some divining in an episode of Bonanza. We don't see a lot of divining happening in TV these days, do we? No, but it was pretty heavy in the 80s, right? especially yeah. if it was like a period piece. Yeah. People out on the frontier, mm-hmm. somehow they're doing their little divining thing. <laughs> where the stick seems to bob up and down on its own when you get close to water. Do you guys think divining for water is real? Yes or no? No. I don't know. Probably not. I remember as a kid walking through the woods, if anyone found like a Y-shaped stick, is very frequently they would true. pick it up and play with it. Yeah. 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 I don't know if kids do that anymore. It's kind of in the same category as like a Ouija board. This is going to be so... Sometimes it's really spooky and it works and sometimes it's like, this is a piece of junk. Yeah. I remember hearing, and I have so few facts to back this up, but there's a lot of different cultures that have the idea of like doing a dance for rain, that there's something about the amount of time that you actually dance that's creating different atmospheric conditions that actually could bring rain. Yeah, I've heard Does a little something familiar? like that, yeah. So I think it could be something along those lines. Grandpa is not like at all that. interested. He 
he's actually tried to dig like six or seven wells and has come up with nothing. Okay. Grandpa has pretty much given up at this point. Mark then tries to talk Grandpa into trying once more, right? Yeah, he says, uh, you know, you remind me of my grandpa. He had a spread a lot like this. And they tried to take it away from him too, but he fought for it. And Grandpa asked, well, did he win? He goes, my granddad always said winning was for prize fighters. Life wasn't a game. It's a journey ending in the same place for everybody. What's important was family and what you did along the way. Really good non-answer there. <laughs> yeah, a really good non-answer. Huh. Winning for prize fighters. Okay, that's a yeah. bunch of mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. Grandpa is portrayed by John McLean. Besides being in a whole bunch of television shows, of note, though, I would say for us, we have Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, nice. He was in the episode Who Watches the Watchers as Fento. He was also in an episode of Northern Exposure and uh, three episodes of Little House on the Prairie. And No surprise there. He also appears in two more Highway to Heaven episodes. Interesting. Mm. I'll be interested to find out whether or not he again portrays Mark's grandfather or not. <laughs> but I shan't spoil or speculate until the opportunity presents itself. Mark is a little bit torn because he wants to tell Grandpa. He just wants to be like, I love you. And Jonathan says, you can't. You can't tell him who you are. But he's my granddad. I want to tell him I love him. He was your grandfather. He's that little boy's grandfather now. It's up to him to do the telling. That's going to be difficult. So now it's no longer a matter of being able to tell granddad you love him, but a matter of, you know, sowing seeds of love. <laughs> that little boy is a tough case. And also yes. when you're meddling with yourself... 45 years in the past. Oof, boy. I'd hate to see the timeline implode inside somebody's brain. Yeah, I feel like it was getting a little bit dangerous here. Because we all know that only actually Vulcans can speak to each other while time traveling without affecting the timeline. Obviously, J.J. Abrams' first Star Trek movie showed us all that. You know, this is no news to you guys here, but uh, Spock traveled 130 years into the past. And the ice cave. And at uh -huh. the end of the movie, Zachary Quinto Spock and Leonard Nimoy Spock met up and said, ha, ha, those silly humans think that we can't actually talk to each other without wrecking the entire universe. But we all know that's not true. Then they kissed. Passionately. Whoa. I might have to watch that movie. Okay, that is a, that is a, that's a three-way kiss I'd love to be a part of. <laughs> Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. Visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to Patreon patrons. Is your company interested in sponsoring Highway to Heaven Revisited? Please send an email to Highway to Heaven Revisited at gmail.com. Sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show. Intermission is over. So now we're all gathered around the dinner table on the farm. Yes, and we're praying. There's a bowl of apples on the table, red and green, a mixture. Mmm. Very inclusive. Yeah. They're talking about losing the farm, and little Mark is really happy about the idea. Big Mark tells little Mark, but Grandpa wants to give you this farm. And the kid's like, this place sucks. I hate this place. Yeah, it's just it's a bunch of Okies. Ignorant clodhopper Okies. Wow. And he's a kid. He's a nine-year-old, and he just yells, I hate it. I hate it, and like storms off. He was not excused from the table. No. What a miscreant. Grandpa's emotions are all over the place. Grandpa was excited about fighting for the farm. Not anymore. Mm -hmm. Not after that. And they just sit around and eat dinner in silence. It's like five minutes of them just eating dinner in silence after that, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing that little Mark screams out, he says that they sent me here to the farm as punishment because my mom got sick. There's a lot of emotions going okay. on. Okay. Like we all know, anger is a secondary emotion. So just because little Mark is so angry, he's got a lot going on. Probably big Mark does too. We're not going to get into that this episode. 
episode. Instead, we go to the barn where we find little Marcus sitting inside a DeLorean. <laughs> Close. It's a it's a carriage. Little Mark's like, how'd you find me? And Big Mark says, I'm you. I know exactly where you're hiding. Yeah, and he just starts kind of telling him the future. And he's just like, everything's going to be okay. Hands him a sports almanac. He's like, bet small. Don't draw attention to yourself. How'd you know where I was? Well, like I said, I know an awful lot about you. Mark, listen to me. I know you blame yourself for your mother getting sick. You two had a fight, you got real mad at her, and you wish she was dead. Never said that to anybody, you know? You just wished for it, just thought about it in your head. Next day, she got sick and was taken to the hospital. I never told anyone that. I know. It's an awful load for a little boy to carry around, especially when it's not true. It is true. Told Cotter when she was dead. She got sick and... Mark, your mother didn't get sick because of anything you wished. I can tell you something else. She's going to get better. And your dad's going to come back from the war safe and sound. Are you sure? Yep. Tell me everything that's going to happen. I can't. What I do like is he goes in and he's trying to explain grandpa to little Mark. And he says, you, this land, this work for adults, all that stuff is tied up in their heads. They work really hard so that they can have something to hand down to like their grandkids. And they do it because they love you so much. And they also love the land so much. And he says, you broke your granddad's heart tonight. I know you didn't mean to, but you did. I liked that because it was just laying out the facts, not blaming you for it, but this did take place. And you see that old man, he's a book, a magic book, full of stories that you never ask him. All old people are like that. And when they die, those books get lost forever. And the kid's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm a little kid. I don't have anything to give anyone. I'm supposed to fix all this. I have nothing to give. And he goes, your love, Mark. All you need to give is your love. Wow. Okay. I really liked it. Yeah, it's very poignant and uh, actually quite true. I like that whole thing about the books. Old people are books. You know, I don't know how much of a little therapy session we want to have right here, but I was not feeling the scene. I don't know why, because you were moved, Joel. I was moved. And I was just like, books, old people, eh. Rachel, do you think you would have felt more deeply the emotion of this scene if it was perhaps portrayed by a better actor of his day, perhaps like a young Jason Bateman or a Corey Feldman? I was thinking that while I was watching the scene, so that clearly took me out of the emotional impact I could have been feeling. For Jonathan Brandis. Oh my gosh. Oh no, that's wow, a good pull. that's a great suggestion. Yeah, if Jonathan Brandis had been in this episode, I mean, he would have been like way too little, I think. On a scale of one to 10, how hard was your uh, Jonathan Brandis crush back in the day? Rachel. No judgment. 20 out of 10. My girlfriends and I, when we were in sixth grade, I think, had a number of Jonathan Brandis movie viewing sleepovers, Mm -hmm. for sure. And there was lots of rewinding. (laughs) Um... I'm trying. I can't remember what movies he was in. He was in Ladybugs. Mm-hmm. The only one I can think of is Ladybugs. Would your girlfriend group get together and uh, watch Sequest DSV? I watched that pretty religiously, but I don't remember watching that as a group. Yeah. Sidekicks. Sidekicks. Thank you. That yeah. was the other one. Ladybugs and Sidekicks were the big ones. Are those both soccer movies? No, Sidekicks is a karate movie. Oh, that's right. Chuck Norris. Yeah. I vaguely remember that. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for helping me out again. That's all right, Chuck. That's what sidekicks are for. Jonathan Brandis. Jonathan Brandis. R.I.P. Jonathan Brandis. Gone too soon. Yeah, for real. All right, so what happens next? It's uh, morning now. We're out in the front yard, and Grandpa and the banker are out there talking. And little Mark comes out and just starts sassing the banker. I don't think we have any quotes from it, but uh, it's hilarious. Well, why don't we cut to the clip and make our own assessment? You're supposed to be in school. I was playing hooky. I saw him drive over the bridge. Tell me answers no. Now see here, little boy. Children should be seen and not heard. Cute, real cute. Granddad, we can bring in that wealth, the four of us. I know we can. Carl Fred, if you turn down my offer now, you'll be throwing away a thousand dollars. This land's been in my granddad's family for a hundred years. You can take that old thousand dollars and go get stuffed. Tell him to get up for land, Granddad. Somebody ought to teach this boy some manners. You're absolutely right, Mr. Stone. Mark, you've no right to be telling Mr. Stone what I should have the pleasure of telling him. Get off our land. Stone heart, stone head, get off our land. You'll regret this, Sims. Not as much as you'll regret losing your upper plate if I don't see your 
backside moving toward that empty car. The banker leaves, and then Grandpa and the kid both like look at each other, and they're like, ah, we told him, and they bond over that. Excellent. So then John busts through like the Kool-Aid guy and goes, ready for me to start divining? <laughs> okay. John has picked up a Y-shaped branch. He is really good at it. Yeah. Like, I completely believe that stick was dragging him all over the property, drug him right into the barn, middle of the barn. Mark had to throw open the doors so Jonathan could keep going. A well in oh. the middle of the barn? Well in the middle of the barn that's kind of strange right it's it's absurd i mean i didn't grow up on a farm but well it's kind of not where you'd necessarily want it because you gotta maybe move the barn then yeah it's not so bad if a well is close to a building but i don't think i know anybody who has the well inside the building maybe the forecast called for rain and so they were like ah you know we might have to shoot this in a soundstage yeah because it's definitely in the building they start digging a well in the barn next uh, we cut to them digging the hole and little mark is handing grandpa his canteen of water and uh, little Mark I believe gets up and goes to leave to refill the canteen so now we're just left with Grandpa and Big Mark in the hole at one point Grandpa holds out his hand Grandpa says something like I'm used to hard work feel this hand Mark reaches out puts his hand in Grandpa's and it's a very poignant moment Mm -hmm. they hold hands together and Mark goes granddad and Grandpa just thinks he's joshing him. And he's just like, uh. Mark says, you just remind me so much of my granddad. Yeah, he's like, I'm sorry, you just remind me. And Grandpa's yeah. like, yeah, your granddad must have been a stubborn ass, huh? And then they laugh. Okay, well, Mark's getting a little bit of his catharsis on. Then uh, we cut away and we are in a bedroom grandpa's bedroom and grandpa is sitting in bed playing his harmonica john and big mark walk into the bedroom mark says ah it's kind of late you've been digging wells you should go to bed and grandpa he's conflicted over the whole day he said his body's tired from all the work but his head's not so he's not quite ready to go to sleep he has a lot to think about because they've had a great day things are looking really good but grandpa's realizing even if everything goes to plan little mark is still not going to want to stay he's like he just doesn't feel the same way about this land that i do i know he's not going to want to take over the farm he's like this farm's been in the family for like a hundred years he doesn't have the same feeling about the lands or me but then he goes ah little mark you you know you really did pitch in today he reminds me of then grandpa just kind of trails off and falls asleep No, he slumps over. Oh, yeah, slumps over. Passes (laughs) out. Sorry. Yeah, so he drops the harmonica and slumps over. Did the slump occur like mid-harmonica playing? Was it like... clank no just mid mid sentence well old guys shouldn't really actually be helping each other dig wells you need a couple medium aged men to do that because even though like dudes think they can do stuff in their 50s they got to take it easy yeah and so once again we have to go find the doctor so now we are going to enter the third level of dreams right so we're in Mark's brain currently, but right. now that Mark's grandpa is slumped over, we're going to enter the psyche and the dreamscape <laughs> of Mark's grandpa's childhood. It's going to get wild. All right, get your pads and papers out, people, because this is going to get complicated. So Big Mark's like, all right, I'm going to go get the doctor. And uh, little Mark runs into granddad's room and sees that he's knocked out. So in the next scene, we are in the barn. Back to the barn. Little Mark is frantically digging with his fingers into the dirt. Oh, man, this kid is freaking out. John shows up. We're going to hit it, Granddad. You'll be all right then. Mark? The doctor's with your grandfather. You better come home now. No. I have to hit water. I have to. You better come now, son. No. No, no. Jonathan then looks up skyward to get a little of the juice, and then water starts bubbling up. That's what I call some divine intervention. He comes running into the house and screaming, we did it, Dad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Did you say divine irrigation? 
No, but I, I applaud your guys' total <laughs> lack of reaction to that really dry dad joke. That made it so much funnier. Yeah. Thanks. And still at this point, Mark has no recollection of meeting his future self when he was nine years old and having no. any of this going on. He doesn't realize that he's kind of responsible in some way for like helping overexert his grandfather while in a dream in his own brain. I mean, I have to tell you, if you really want to go down this path of logic, it's not going to get anywhere satisfying. Yeah. Obviously. Get any answers. My other question is, how is a gambling-related solution going to fix all of this <laughs> in the next 10 minutes of this show? You never know. Could still happen. So we're inside uh, the bedroom. The doctor is putting the stethoscope into his travel bag. Yeah, that's not a good sign. <laughs> is that a euphemism? Is travel bag, Joel? <laughs> no, no. He walks out of the bedroom and he tells little Mark that he better go in now. Sitting on the bed is Big Mark. Granddad is asleep underneath an old quilt. I really liked the quilt because it was a classic put together from like scraps. Uh, do either of your mothers quilt? My mother did a lot of crocheting and cross stitching. Not crocheting. She did cross stitching when I was growing up. Excellent. Yeah. My mother's a quilter. Does she still quilt? I hate to speak for her, but she has a bit of a love-hate relationship with mm -hmm. quilting now. I think she really likes the amount of concentration and detail it takes to make a quilt, but mm -hmm. she rather despises the time it takes to do said litigious quilt work in yeah. order to make something nice. But after watching her make a bunch of baby quilts for other people in the family, about four or five years ago, she gave me a quilt that she made for me. Oh. And it's pretty nice, and I'm going to keep it for a long time. And yeah. it really ticks me off every once in a while when the cat hacks a hairball on it. <laughs> My stepmom knit blankets for a while. I don't know if she's still doing that, but I remember she asked me when I was like a teenager if there was any cloth I could pick out, and I picked what I thought was going to be the ugliest cloth off there, and it was this multicolored brown green and black string she knit it up and it turned into camo and it created camouflage patterns and i was like oh great camouflage patterns i don't want anything to do with the u.s military yeah <laughs> fast forward three years <laughs> exactly and it was like the best blanket when we would go somewhere i would bring it with me and people were like you have a camouflage like quilt blanket thing nice I'm like yeah my stepmom knit it for me like three years ago and that's how joel was cool in the army <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Grandpa is going to die. Let's dig into it. So little Mark comes into the room. Granddad, we've got to be all right. We hit water. They can't take our land away now. Granddad? I can't hear you, Mark. can't hear either one of us. And he walks over to the window and just looks really sad out the window. And little Mark kneels down on the side of the bed and cries. I definitely think that people can hear you if they're unconscious or in a coma. I would say, go ahead and keep talking to them. And Grandpa actually wakes up a little bit and he's like, Mark? 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 Granddad. Oh, Granddad. Okay. Look at you. I thought I told you to wash up before you came in the house, huh? I hit water. What? They can't take our land away. And I think he's starting to cry. There's a lot of crying happening in this scene. John's just watching this whole thing by the doorway with the light just kind of splashed gently on his face. I feel like Michael Landon has had maybe five lines this whole episode. And then the rest of the show, he's like off camera somewhere eating a grilled cheese sandwich. That's an interesting observation because Michael Landon does not have a lot of lines in this episode, but I felt like he was very present in this episode. Yeah, yeah. He but was on he, screen a lot, mm -hmm. but mostly more in a... a, a Visual sense. A visual yeah. sense. Okay, so... Grandpa's dying. And Grandpa says, man, I wish I could see the look on the banker's face. Grandpa says, don't cry. It's going to be all right. I've had my time. And then the little Mark gets well, a chance to say, I love you, Granddad. Granddad's like, you can go back to the city now and everything will be all right. Little boy says, but I want to be with you, I love Granddad. you more than anything. And Granddad goes, you do? Why are well, you such you, a little fucker? What do you know? I'll be darned. I'll be darned. He's like, what? I love you too, boy. And they hug and cry together. And Big Mark is standing there in the window crying. They cut over to John in the doorway. John is crying. Rachel looks over to Joel. Joel is crying. Joel's crying. <laughs> 
Yeah, for real. Everyone is crying. Camera zooms out of the granddad's bedroom, and then we see the doctor's light. Above the exam table. Above the exam we're, table. We're back to adult Mark laying on the doctor's table in so the, the present. Yes. So the, the psychic time travel on the astral plane is now over. Mm-hmm. We're back mere moments after they declared Mark unconscious <laughs> on the table. Mark wakes up, and he looks over, and John's there. It's morning again. I smell breakfast. Jonathan says, welcome back. Then they are outside the doctor's office, and guess who ate a lot of breakfast? It's a repeat of the dialogue. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Except for the one twist is they do say, hey, you know what's also a miracle? Your car's okay. Oh, yeah. I forgot the car was totally busted this whole episode, too. Yeah. And Mark takes his time and says goodbye to everybody. We are now then back in the car with John and Mike. John and Mike. We're in the car driving. There's birds chirping. John's driving. He's looking around a little bit concerned at Mark, and he asks if Mark's okay. Then Mark pulls out a top and starts spinning it. It on the dashboard of the car. <laughs> and we're left to wonder whether or not we're in or out of the dream on how many dreams deep we still are. Yeah. And to find out, Mark asks him to stop the car. The top spills off the dashboard. <laughs> he hops out of the car. They're on the bridge. And uh-huh. on the bridge is another boy. <laughs> they walk up to the other boy. He taps him on the shoulder. The little kid turns around. Get your hands off me, hobo. <laughs> You're supposed to be in school. What business is it of yours? None at all, he says. Sad music. Hopeful music. It's a little freckly kid. It's not a little Mark. It's not a little Mark at all. It's a present-day mouthy kid. They hop back in the car, drive off. The camera freezes on the kid for a little while. Camera pans over, and on the arm rail of the bridge, we see some graffiti that says, Mark Gordon, dash, 39. Wow, that was quite a little episode yeah, what there. What happened in this episode? A journey into Mark's brain. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, how did it all wrap up for you, Rachel? Were you? I didn't connect with this one. I didn't connect with little Mark. I didn't connect with the story. I liked the divining rod part. That was funny. That's about it. But Joel, this affected you profoundly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This one, this one got me. I enjoy episodes as well that have a little bit of time travel. I liked the storyline. I liked that everyone in Mark's Mark's world is like sassy. If it was all a dream, all of the characters of his dream had his personality. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they were all technically related to him, but like if that was the world, I imagine that if he went down to the store, it'd be like in being John Malkovich when he went inside his own head. (laughs) Malkovich! And just everybody is just like sassing and calling each other stubborn asses and then patting each other on the back. Yeah, we're a bunch of stubborn asses. We're best friends now. What if your whole world was populated by people who just acted like you for a day? My instinct tell me I'd be more comfortable because then I'd actually know what was going on. Yeah, would you oh, understand the their, premise at the start head. of the day or would it just be confusing for a while until you started to go, huh? It'd be a what? lot easier in my world like if the workday wouldn't start until like 11 a.m. No emails would get going until like 12.30. There'd be iced coffee available at literally any building period. It'd just be iced coffee spigots. These are just a few of the perks that would be like the inside Sam Hines. I think mine Malkovich. would take a couple hours before eventually I'd be like, why is nobody talking to each other? It's been unusually quiet today. And then I might start to figure it out. Excellent. Well, uh, I I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. I I like a little fanciful twist on a television premise. Star Trek does it every once in a while where they're just like, you know what? We want to do a gangster story in the 30s. So everybody's just going to hang out on the holodeck and it's going to be 1940s gangster movie today. I'm glad to see that uh, some 80s tropes such as the divining rod are uh, alive and well on this 80s TV show. And I also found it pretty funny that uh, Mark's younger self called him a hobo almost immediately. (laughs) That was really funny. We all know Victor French could use a bath. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A little grooming. It was enjoyable getting to know some of uh, the backstory for Mark and getting to learn, like, why he is the way he is. A little bit of where his internal, like, regrets perhaps come from and where his stubbornness comes from. I guess I did have one question thinking about it. Where was Mark's sister all this time? I wondered about that too, actually. So Mark was nine years old. It's possible she wasn't born yet. Okay. Because I'm, I'm trying to think of the age discrepancy. That was going back to the very first two-parter episode when we met Mark's sister. Mm-hmm. Mark's sister was the first character that Michael Landon helped on this show. Correct. So Mark is in... 
in his early 50s in this episode. I would guess his sister was in her 30s. I would too. Yeah, so she must have been a little bit of a later in life baby because there does seem to be quite a span between Mark and his little sister. Well, again, I guess that math makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for telling me the whole story about this episode, guys. As always, it is very enjoyable and very appreciated. Let's get down to business on the wrap-up items on the table. First item on the docket is always, what is the moral of this story? I think the moral of the story is pretty obvious, and I don't know how we can all expound on it here, but uh, for me, it's it's going to be better for your heart if you care about the people in your life to actually exert the energy to let them know how you feel. Because if they're gone and you didn't expend any energy trying to let them know how you feel, you could literally spend the rest of your lifetime haunted by wishing you would have done so. Yeah, it's highly unlikely that you are going to get a chance to travel back in time and get a redo. I have two morals. My first one is it is no longer 1984. If you get a head injury, just go ahead and call 911. Go to the hospital. It's going to be worth your time. Don't worry about the cost. Just go to the hospital. My second one is go to therapy because that's what I was thinking when we're talking about little Mark. Big Mark, we're getting a pretty clear picture of how a lot of the issues that he's having in his adults, they've come from these interactions when he's a little nine-year-old boy. I mean, we didn't even get into dad being away at war, mom being sick. And I think a lot of us are stuck in those little nine-year-old Mark patterns of thought. You know, why don't you get somebody to help you work that out a little bit? Excellent. I like it a lot. Joel, how about you? I think the moral of this story is simply to be present in the lives of those that you love and tell them that you love them and start from there. The biggest thing for me in this was you don't necessarily have to have all of the answers, but be present with the ones you love and let them know how you feel about them. Joel, I have one follow-up question for you. Without dispelling too much information about your personal life, Joel, you experienced a bike crash a while ago. Yes. And you you hit your head pretty Mm -hmm. good. You were wearing a helmet because you're a very smart guy and an avid bicycler, but you know, accidents do happen. Mm -hmm. Joel, having a recent head injury, was this uh, episode in any way, shape, or form similar to your experience as a person dealing with a head injury? Did you travel back in time in your own brain? Did you change your timeline? No, but what I did have that happened, I was left completely vulnerable, and it was only through the kindness of total strangers that I ended up at the hospital, because I hit my face on a bike trail, I landed on my face, so the helmet didn't really help, I landed on my nose, and it pushed my helmet back, and I hit my forehead, and uh, just strangers stopped and came by me, and I was like, no, I'm fine, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to work, and they were like, no, if you saw what I could see right right now, you would need to go to a hospital. And so like, I literally pulled out my phone and took a selfie and looked at it and was like, oh my gosh. And I pointed at it and I go, that person needs to go to the hospital. And then Joel (laughs) sent me that selfie. And then I sent that to you and I sent it to my work going, (laughs) I can't come in. I've got like a busted forehead. I'm covering up half of my face with like a bloody cloth. Yeah, those photos you... Listen, I'm always here to support you, Joel, but those photos were almost immediately flagged on Facebook for containing graphic (laughs) material. I don't know who in your friend group, whatever, but all of those pictures were grisly. I don't blame them. Wow. I did make it sound a little worse because you did send me a text message that said, I got in a bike accident. I'm going to the hospital. And then you didn't send me the picture until a little bit later. I actually called you and talked to you. So I just want to make you sound a little bit better. (laughs) But you didn't have any sort of inception scenarios where you got to relive a portion of your life where you got to like fix a chapter of your lifespan in the holodeck of your brain? I would like to discuss this with you, but by mentioning it, it might affect Rachel's time. I understand. Well, I just don't want Rachel to remember that she didn't like playing first-person shooter video games because she apparently (laughs) loves them now and is just like hounding me to get an Xbox 360. Rachel has schooled me so many times at GoldenEye. You are vicious. Yeah, that's like a pivotal part of who I am, you guys. I've mentioned at some point that I am a member of the Dad Dad Club. Mm -hmm. My dad's been dead uh, six years. And there has actually been occasion where he will visit me in a dream. He's either across the room and I have a cognitive moment where I see him across the room and we don't interact, but he's watching. The other scenario that my dad shows up in dreams, and I'm sure this happens to you guys, but the setting of a dream will be some weird combination of places that you've been 
in your life. It won't exactly be the house you grew up in, but it's mm-hmm. like the house you grew up in, plus the bowling alley from your college town, but it's like a mansion. So I end up in these weird complexes, and the characters are also amalgams of just life's experience. For whatever reason, the person hanging out with me in the dream is like a dude from the friend group of a, a woman I dated a couple years ago or something, or it's like, hey, I haven't thought about that bully from eighth grade, but evidently he's here tonight at this dream party. Well, it's like all of the pictures and file folders of your memories yes. and lives. I like to think that they're on watercolor paper, and when you're dreaming, the edges start bleeding together in the way that they've been filed into the filing cabinet. They'll kind of melt together a little bit. Yeah, but the second way my father shows up in my dreams is he shows up at these places where it's just a wacky collection of hand puppets from my brain. And rather than actually realizing he's dead, he's like, hey, what is this? What's going on today? And I'm like, well, that's my ex-girlfriend's buddy. Uh, this is the uh, like the mansion. Remember that crazy house in, in Princeton? They're like, this is the mansion, and that's a bowling alley from college. And I'll be so distracted by explaining the setting of the dream to him that I'll totally forget like the volumes of information that I wish I could convey to him about, like, hey, I know you know this, but your grandkids, they're like, so cool now. Yeah. Uh, but regardless of whether or not I'm cognizant enough to share that information with him, I still wake up feeling the next day like we actually hung out. When you have these dreams, is it comforting? Is it reassuring? Does it make you feel good the next day? Yeah, I mean, it makes you feel sad, but I woke up Saturday morning feeling like really nice. Yeah. I find that the passing of someone close to you in your life is both equally weighted with sorrow and elation of their memory. That makes sense. It's a little sad, but it's usually just kind of a happy feeling of like, huh, that's a familiar feeling. What's that feeling? Oh, that's the feeling of like getting to spend the afternoon with your dad. Yeah. So given that this episode was about time traveling in your brain, in your dreams, I had some version of Mark's journey just a couple nights ago. We clearly are pretty tongue-in-cheek when we go through these podcasts, and I have not had an experience like you've had, Sam, but I'm fully open to the idea... We don't know what happens after somebody dies. We have no idea. I like the idea that people are still able to somehow be part of our lives. You know, I don't know what we want to call it, but I have no problem believing that's a possibility. Yeah, usually I fall on the side of, you know, no ghosts, no magic, things like that. But, you know, what, what is it? You know, dreams aren't real, but they're they're pretty real. And there's tons of value into this whole human condition that can be deeply gleaned in mind. And if a shorthand for I was speaking to this being from another place, cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I know you've been awaiting it patiently, where we talk about the overarching rating system we've aligned to every episode of the show. It's called the Michael Landon Factor. Joel, Mm. on a scale of 1 to 10, Michael Landons, how many Michael Landons do you rate? Episode 16 of Season 1 of Highway to Heaven. Okay, so we have a car breaking down, and we have a car magically being fixed. So we have two bits of car magic. We have Michael Landon divining water. We have a lot of thoughtful looks from the bedroom, a lot of just like close-ups and sweet faces. We have Michael Landon sending Mark back in time. Yes. I mean, that's inconclusive, but something like that. Well, he definitely understands it. Right. In comparison to Mark. That's true. He doesn't do any crutch kicking in this episode. Does he have any good crutch kickers or shame-based? Yes, there's been very little angel shame. And quite frankly, I'm not sure if crutch kicking really is something to grade on because there was a really crutch-kicky heavy episode four or five episodes ago, and then we really haven't seen it since. Yeah, really nothing after that. I would agree with that. I haven't seen a lot of crutch-kicking going on, but I still feel like it's an important factor. It may come back in. So I would give this five Landons. Ooh, straight down the middle. I think by the time we get through this first season, we're going to have a really good template for how to define Mm crutch-kicking, if that's something we want to factor in or not, the Michael Landon effect. We really need a whole season season to get a feel for that. That being said, I was going to say five, too. Okay. Yeah, we're going with a straight five right down the middle. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let us know how you feel about it. But according to your favorite Highway to Heaven Revisited hosts, Joel Luters and Rachel Mayer, the overall Michael Landon factor of season one, episode 16, going home, going home, has a Michael Landon factor of 5.0. Perfect.
that. Anything else before we go today, hosts? I mean, we've covered so much. We no. really have. Well, how about we take a break and uh, enjoy some of this uh, wonderful banana bread that came out of the Luder Mayor's kitchen. And uh, thank you very much for the cats on synthesizer pin <laughs> for my uh, birthday, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, when you're on Instagram, for sure, check out cats on synthesizers Oh, as my well. God. Amazing. Just follow that immediately. Yeah. Isn't it just incredible? It's great. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone out there. Uh, Joel and Rachel, thank you once again for taking me on this illustrious journey. Our pleasure. Thank you, Sam. Catch you next time. Later. Bye. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. I can't read. That's a lie. Look, you're doing your job now. Let the cops take care of sticks. But they better do it fast. Because if they don't, he's mine. Gretch. Hey, man, what you think you do? I'm looking for sticks. Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-FLOW-BIZ-5. Your message might be played on the show. Or send the show an email at Highway to Heaven Revisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.